We'll break for Easter, and then we'll put all this thing together. So I've learned so much just in the time that I've studied. So hopefully you guys have, have learned a, a little bit. And tonight is, is about the helmet. And if you've been with us the past couple of, well, the past five weeks, we started and we've, we've kind of dove into five pieces. Well, four, five tonight. And the first three pieces are we should continually put them on every single day. But last week, Paul, he changed the verbs a little bit, didn't he? Instead of having to put on the, the belt of truth and the breastplate and the shoes, what did he say last week? Take up. So when those battles are raging, when Satan's attacking you, he said to take up, and last week was about the shield. So tonight, we're going to dive into the second piece that Paul says to take up, and that's the helmet of salvation. So, I think, Katie, can you, can you change that to uh, session six? There we go. All right, so this is the armor, okay? This is the six pieces that we have been kind of going over or will go over the next, this week and next week. On the left-hand side, okay, is, is the pieces, like I said before, you should take up daily. The belt of truth. And what is the belt of truth? Well, that's the base. That's the foundation. That's the standard. That's God's truth. That's God's base knowledge. And it, it says that we should firmly fasten God's truth around our waist like a belt. We talked about the breastplate, the right and wrong, the righteousness that when we were saved, God credited us or imputed that righteousness to protect and cover our heart. We talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace a little bit. We talked about, about peace and what peace is. And that our feet should be fitted in those shoes and be ready to share the gospel at any given moment. Last week, now we, did, we dove into the right side with the shield of faith and what faith is and what the shield is for. And what was the shield for? Well, the shield was for, the major function of the shield was to extinguish or put that fire out, to extinguish, not some, all of Satan's arrows or all of Satan's darts. This week now is the second piece, and that's the helmet of salvation. Now, here's our scripture memory. It comes from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's, from, it's God's gifts, not from works, so that no one can boast, for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. 
That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So here's a picture that we kind of have been dealing with the past couple of weeks. On the left-hand side, you can see the Roman soldier. He's all armed. He's ready. You can see his belt on. You can see his breastplate on. You can see his shoes ready. You can see his shield ready. Now we're going to talk about the helmet. The helmet, the soldier's helmet, was, was made of bronze or was made of iron. And that helmet had two unique features that we'll talk about. The first feature comes down from the sides. You can see in that top right-hand picture. Those are some of the helmets that might have been worn in those days. It protected the side part of his face, the cheek area. Now, in today's time, if you've ever watched a baseball game, and yesterday I umpired five games, and I was probably paying more attention. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the helmet tomorrow, so I'm looking at that helmet from the batter. So I'm behind the pitcher, and I probably should have been paying attention more to balls and strikes than the, the, the batter's helmet. So if, if, if you've ever watched a baseball game, and you've seen their, they had their helmet on. They're right here. They're ready. Pitcher's out here. Well, coming down from that helmet is a little shield. And what does that protect? Well, that protects that exposed area from the attack or the baseball that's, that's coming. The same way with a soldier. It protected that side part of his face on both sides. You can see in the top right-hand corner that picture, there's another unique feature. And it's, it protects the back part. There's that flap that's coming from the back part of that helmet that protects the back part of their neck. Now, the soldier still had mobility to turn left and right and up and down, but it just protected that back part of that neck. The soldier's helmet was also inside that was lined with leather or a leather-type material. And that provided them cushion um, so they wouldn't have that iron piece of, 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 or iron or bronze helmet just on its head without any cushion. But I was, as I was doing some research on this, as I was doing some research on the helmet, I was looking through some, some, some websites, some history websites, and I came across a couple of them that really caught my attention. And one of them, it said that the helmet was the last piece of armor that they put on, that it was either strapped or tied around their belt. And when battle, when they was fixing to go to battle, guess what they did? They untied that helmet and took it and they put it on. That's what Paul is telling us to do. When we're going through those attacks by Satan, when, we're going, when those battles are raging, Paul tells us to take up our helmet and put it on. So I thought that was how it, it kind of related to their helmet versus our spiritual helmet. So, what is the helmet supposed to do? The helmet is supposed to protect our head. Well, what's inside our head? 
Well, our brain. Our brain is a three-pound organ that controls most, if not all, our functions of our body. Now, when I was teaching at Trustful, I taught an advanced science class. It was called Medical Detectives. And a part of our, our curriculum in Medical Detectives was we had a unit about the brain. So it was my responsibility to teach my students about the brain. Well, we found out that the brain is the command station for the rest of the body. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw some anatomy at you with the brain. Your brain is divided into a left and right brain. Your brain has four lobes on it. You, in the front, is obviously it's called the frontal lobe. On the sides, it's called your temporal lobe. You have a lobe on the top that's called your parietal lobe. You have a lobe in the back that's called your occipital lobe. Now, we were, we were very blessed and fortunate to dissect brain, the brain. And when we dissected those brains, inside of it was other specific structures. Just for example, the occipital lobe in the back is responsible for your vision. There's a lot, a lot of structures in your brain that's responsible for major functions of your body, like moving, or talking, or swallowing, or sight. So if any one of those functions or structures is damaged, that specific body function is in, impaired. And that's why it's so important to protect our head and protect our brain from injury. Now, like I said before, to protect our head, a helmet must be worn, must be worn at all times. Now, you've got all sorts of various types of helmets. Football players, they wear helmets. What is it? Why? Because they, they, they want to absorb that shock from the hit, from getting tackled or being hit. Construction workers, they wear helmets for what? Protect anything from falling. Motorcycle riders, they wear helmets. Why? To protect their head from accidents. Roman soldiers wore helmets. Why? to protect their head from rocks, arrows, or sword. So that's why it's super important for us to wear a helmet, our spiritual helmet. Now, I like figuring out Latin words or Greek words for, for different, different words. Now, the Greek word for helmet is perikephalia. Now, let me tell you what this means. It's a Greek compound word. Peri means around, and kephalia means head. So if we, if we put all that together, it, it, it means anything that is wrapped around your head for protection. We call that a helmet, okay? So like I said, it literally means anything that you wrap your head around for protection. Now, the helmet provided protection, the helmet provided safety, but the helmet also provided identity. 
And in this next slide, I'm going to have a picture of a couple of helmets from the Roman time frame, and I'm going to show you how it provided identity. So here is a picture of two helmets. Now, depending on the rank, you may have a different style, or you may have a different uh, color. In some cases, squad leaders would have a crest that would go from either side to side or front and back. They may have a plume of feathers, just like it is on the picture. It's a, it's a good way back then of distinguishing you from other soldiers. So that's a way it provided protection, and that's a way that it provided identity. So, we talked about a little bit with the characteristics of the helmet. Now we get into the helmet of what? Now we're talking about our helmet. So, what does the helmet symbolize? Well, Paul specifies in verse 17 that it symbolizes salvation. We know in the past that the belt symbolizes truth. The breastplate symbolizes righteousness. The shoes symbolizes peace. The shield symbolizes faith. And now the helmet symbolizes salvation. Now, just as the Roman soldier, their helmet provided safety, they, they provided protection, they provided identity, well, that's the same thing for us. Salvation for us, for the Christian soldier, provides us with identity in Christ and provides us with protection and provides us with safety. Now, let me read Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 again. And it says... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So out of, those, out of that verse, out of those verses, we see that salvation is by grace. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. Grace is all God has done for you independently of you. It has nothing to do with you. Tony Evans puts it like this. Remember that God has already done everything he is going to do for you. He's already sacrificed Jesus for you. You are saved by what he has already done in Christ. So salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. The way that you access grace is through faith. And the last one is salvation 
is for good works. So if we put all of these three components together, this is a package deal. If we put grace, faith, and good works together, that's the package that we call salvation. Now, salvation, I was looking at some, some stuff from David Jeremiah, and he gave me two really good things about salvation here. He said, salvation is God's life-changing power to transform. Now, all of us, and we were talking about that this morning, okay, in worship, all of us has been through some type of life-changing event, whether it be the tornado of 2011, whether it be changing of a, a, or, or getting a new job where you, where you change maybe your environment that you're working in, or getting married, maybe you, you change where you live. But for us as Christians, salvation is that life-changing event where the old is gone and the new is here. So he also, David Jeremiah also said that it also, salvation also means to be delivered or to be rescued. Now, when we, when we accept Christ, when people decide to follow Jesus, they receive that helmet of salvation. And what that does, it delivers us from sin. It means that, that we are rescued from eternal consequences and that we are no longer separated from God. So that's a good, he put that as, as two really good things. It means that we have been justified. Every Christian can say that. Justification is the past tense of salvation. It's through justification that the penalty of sin is removed. Justification, like I said, is the past tense as a believer. No matter what Satan might tell you, you can always remind yourself of the past that you have been justified. So it's through justification that the penalty of sin is removed. Now, it's also when we've been justified, it's also that implanting of new life in us in the form of an imperishable. Now, I looked up the word imperishable. What that means is enduring forever, not decaying. So that seed, that imperishable seed within our spirit. Last week, we talked about seeds and what happens when we nourish those seeds and we water that seed. What happens? It continues to grow and grow and grow. Well, that's the same thing with us. If we water our seed, what is it going to do? If we nourish our seed, it's going to continue. We're going to continue to grow and grow and grow spiritually. So that's, that's how we could, that's how we have been justified. Also, the helmet gives the believer the assurance of knowing where we stand on the battlefield between good and evil. Now, it's, it's heaven or hell. Now, 
before salvation, we were on a, a one-way street to hell. But since we've been justified, we've got that new ticket, and it's stamped as with heaven as our new and final destination. That's what we can be excited about. So it gives us that insurance of knowing where we stand. Now, it's also our defense against anything the enemy throws at us. Matthew 10, 28 says this, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's the idea that as we prepare for Satan and his attacks, we must grab their helmet. We must take up our helmet and put it on. Now, when we put on the helmet, we're actually putting on Christ himself. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. When we put on the helmet, Christ, this is what Christ does. He protects not just our heads, but our entire being from spiritual death. That's because salvation is that protection that comes only from the Lord. Salvation restores, protects and shields us from these daily attacks from Satan. So, to wear the helmet, we've got to be focused on growing in Christ spiritually every day. To, to wear the helmet of salvation means to every day be focused on eternity and the future that we have. And it changes, salvation changes the way we live. Now, we talked about that was salvation then. That's the past. That's being justified. That's justification. Now we're going to talk about salvation now. And salvation is a threefold process that summarizes all Christ has provided for us past, present, and future. And we need to understand that salvation is not just in the past, nor it's in the future. Salvation is right now. Past means justification. Future means glorification. Right now means sanctification. That's the present tense. So salvation is right now. And like I said before, the present tense is called sanctification. It's the ongoing growth that we have in which we begin walking with Him, walking with the Lord, and learning more about Him. That's the present tense of salvation, and it's called sanctification. Well, the future tense is called glorification. And what glorification is, it's the, the future. It's the removal of the presence of sin. There's no sin in heaven. It must be finally 
eliminated for the good. Now, Tony Evans puts it like this. This threefold process. He says salvation is a threefold process. It began when I trusted Christ and the penalty was, was removed. It continues as I began walking with the Lord. And more and more I learned how to be victorious in trials and temptations. It will be complete when Jesus takes me unto himself in the future, when sin is destroyed and eternal life begins. He said in Romans 13, 11, that the time of ultimate victory and judgment is fast approaching. So, another meaning of salvation also is to be rescued or to be delivered. Now, what are we to be rescued from? Or what are we to be delivered from? Well, we all know that we can be rescued and delivered from hell in the future. But what about hell in the present? And what I mean by that is we can be delivered or rescued from the negative things that's in our daily lives. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's ungodly thoughts. Maybe it's an ungodly mind. Maybe it's that stronghold that Satan has on you. We can be delivered and rescued from that. But the gospel, the gospel has the power to deliver you from that. And if we put that helmet of salvation on, he's going to protect our minds and our thoughts and our emotions from Satan. So as we wrap things up, we talked about the characteristics of the helmet. We talked about salvation then, salvation now. So how do we put on this helmet? Well, it all starts with your mind. Your mind is super important for spiritual victory. Your mind is so imperative in spiritual victory. For believers, that battlefield takes place in your mind. Your mind, just like if you play football and your head is covered and protected, your mind must be protected and covered. One of Satan's primary strategies, what he loves to do, is to attack our minds. Remember, our mind is where Satan enters our lives. And he tries to put worldly ideas and have us focus on the world and not focus on eternity. Romans 12, 2 says this, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of what? Your mind. Satan is going to fire assault after assault after assault at you. And these doubts and these doubts and these doubts, what is he going to try to do? He's going to try to make you believe lies. So Satan also knows that if we, our head, or if our mind is not protected, or we don't have that helmet on to protect our minds, he's going to whisper in our ears his own version of the truth. And Paul, Paul says this 
Satan is going to do everything he possibly can do to get us to think differently to what God would want us to do, contrary to what God would want us to do. So it all begins how? It all begins how, how we think. It's about your thought life. It's about your thinking. How do you think when, when Satan is, ba- is, is attacking you, if those battles are raging? How are you thinking in the, in the midst of those battles? You know, the way that we think determines our behavior, maybe our choices, maybe the actions that we do. All of that is governed by our thought process. So, for us, we've got to make sure that we protect, that we guard our minds. You've got to be intentional. You have got to be intentional about how you're, you're guarding your minds. Because if we don't do this, all those actions that we do, all those behaviors that we do, all those choices that we make, they're going to start residing inside of us. So it's about how we think. Maybe it's what we're reading or listening to or what we're engaging in. Or, I don't have my phone, but scrolling social media. It's what's being said to us. So if we don't guard and protect our minds, all that stuff is going to start residing in us. So Paul says this, in Romans, like I said, I just read this in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds or your minds. Well, how do we renew our minds? We allow God's Word to wipe anything opposite what He says. The old ideas, the opinions, we must allow God's truth to wash away all that, to wash away the filth that's in the world and the lies that's in our minds now like i said before our minds our our minds are battlefields and second corinthians i'm sorry um the outcome of these battles the outcome of these battles really like i said determines the course of of, of, of our lives, the actions, like I said, the actions that, I, that, that you do, the behaviors, the choices that you make determines the course of your lives. Now, how do we do this? How do we renew our minds? Well, first of all, you can't entertain any wrong thoughts. You've got to change your way of thinking. How do we do that? Well, we destroy these, these, these wrong thoughts. Let me read 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. It says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, We've got weapons. We're not defensive. We've got weapons against Satan. We don't have the carnal weapons like guns and knives, but he's equipped us with this. 
So, like I said, God gives us these weapons. We just got to use them. We just got to use them. So, how do we destroy these wrong thoughts? We just do the opposite. We must develop godly thoughts. And how do we develop godly thoughts? Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Truth, honorable equals honest, just is whatever is holy, Pure is whatever is clean. Praiseworthy is whatever is worthy of our praise. The Bible says to think about these things and to meditate on these things. That's how we develop these godly thoughts. We must also keep an eternal perspective. You know, when life is, 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 is crashing around us, we've got to remember who we need to look to. Now, this is a picture, okay, you probably can't see it very good, but this is a picture of a Roman soldier. Now, I mentioned earlier that a squad leader had different helmets. Some had different colors, some had different helmets. Now, what would happen if in a battle you're shoulder to shoulder and you're protecting yourself from the enemy? You're looking for guidance. You're looking for that squad leader. He's got that plume of feathers or the crest over his head. You're looking for that for guidance. That's the same thing that we need to do. We need to look for our leader. We need to look for our squad leader. We need to look for our general. And that's Jesus that's going to ultimately guide us through these battles. So we've got to make sure that we keep an eternal perspective. It's not only about what we think, it's who we look to in order to understand how to think and what to do. So, as we're wrapping things up, we've got a couple of questions. How are you protecting your head from the onslaught that Satan's attacking you with? As we wear the helmet of salvation, our minds become insulated against the traps that Satan lays with us. We choose to guard our minds and think on things that honor Christ. We must do that. In doing so, we wear our salvation as a protective helmet. Philippians 4, 7 says, that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what we need to do, we've got to strap on the belt of truth. We've got to know who God is and know in his word. We've got to fasten the breastplate of righteousness and protect and cover your heart. We got to fit our feet with the shoes of peace, knowing that 
we carry the gospel. We carry that good news. And we've got to put on our helmet of salvation that's going to protect our minds and it's going to protect our thoughts at all times. No matter what tactics that enemy throws at us, we've got to know that God has everything under control. So it's... Ball player puts on a helmet to protect his head, his brain. God has a piece of spiritual armor to protect our minds because, after all, we all know the mind is a terrible thing to waste. Whatever controls your mind controls everything else. The enemy wants to get into your thinking so that his thoughts become your thoughts so that your life is lived his way rather than the way God has prescribed, causing you to have defeat rather than enjoy victory. Many people do not understand salvation because they limit it only to justification, the penalty of sin. But salvation in scripture is used in three ways. Justification, deliverance from the penalty of sin, sanctification, deliverance from the power of sin, and glorification, delivered from the very presence of sin. And only when you understand this comprehensive approach to salvation can you experience the full victory that God has achieved for you and wants you to have in your thinking so that as you live your life, you live it victoriously. The enemy will not have power over you unless he can get to your mind. But God has a piece of equipment to protect your thinking. So why don't we put on our helmet of salvation? reached the point in verse 17 where we're told to take the helmet of salvation. He declares that one of the things that will give us victory is what we wear on our head. The helmet of salvation. The helmet that somebody wears is placed over the head. The reason that the helmet is placed over the head is to protect from brain injury. A football player wears a helmet to absorb shock so that the brain is not damaged. Because the understanding is that if the brain is damaged, bodily function is impeded. When you have players who over and over again, particularly quarterbacks where their head is constantly being pounded on the ground, concussion after concussion after concussion, if that thing is not addressed, if the head is not protected, the brain gets damaged. And if the brain gets damaged, function gets impeded. He says the brain or the mind must be protected 
to absorb the shocks of being hit in the spiritual realm by the enemy. Some of us have relatives who have contracted Alzheimer's, one of the debilitating diseases of our day. It is where the brain no longer is able to function and it progressively deteriorates over time. And one of the things you will always see as Alzheimer's sets in and becomes more and more dominant in a person's life is they become less and less able to control themselves, to care for themselves. The worse the brain problem gets as Alzheimer's sets in, the less the person can control. The less control you and I have in our lives is because spiritual Alzheimer's has set in. The mind is no longer functioning as it ought to, impeding the soul from doing what it should, influencing the body to be out of control. He says that you and I are to have a helmet on in this spiritual battle in the invisible realm if we are to have victory. He is dealing with a context of us, a context of us being under attack. In a football game, the quarterback is the, is the leader on the field and he's calling the play and setting the agenda and he is always under attack. The defense is always trying to get him, sack him, knock him down, block him, move him out of the pocket, run him. They want to make him ineffective and inefficient. So they are after him. Sitting high above him in a booth is an offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator's job is to, is to speak to him about what he ought to be doing in light of what's coming at him. In light of the attack that the quarterback is under, the coordinator gives him plays. And these plays in light, in light of technology now can be spoken right into his helmet, right into his head. So with the helmet that he has on comes instruction of how he is to move, what play he is to call, how he is to function in light of the attack he is under. The reason why the coordinator does it is he's sitting high looking low. He's up there watching what the enemy is doing down there, analyzing the movements of the enemy in order to inform his man through his helmet what the deliverance ought to be for the pressure he's now under. He says, Paul says, that in this battle we are to put on a helmet. A helmet, spiritually speaking, to govern the mind. The problem of victory or defeat is tied to proper programming. If the mind the spiritual expression of the brain, is improperly programmed if it has bad information, then it will function improperly. 
In other words, if you're thinking wrong, you're going to be wrong. If your perspective is errant, if your mindset is flawed, then your function will be flawed based on flawed thinking. That's why the only way you can consistently change your action is changing your thought. If the thought is wrong, the wrong action will inevitably follow unless you're forced not to do it. Unless you're being coerced. The enemy is attacking us. God wants us to put on a helmet so he can speak some stuff in our minds because he sits high and he looks low. He can see the field of life better than we can. He can examine it better than we can. Without proper information, proper programming, the head, the helmet, there will be errant, false, faulty life. Without the right information, the Emancipation Proclamation declared slaves were freed. But we all know from history it's one thing to have something on paper saying you are freed when you can legally be freed but not functionally free. That's why we can sing songs in church about being free. Freed by what Jesus has accomplished but not living a life of freedom. Because either we didn't get the information or the information we got is not being utilized properly. We don't have on our helmet. He says, if you're going to win, the enemy attacks, you must stand firm and you must have your helmet on. Your mind must be covered in the same way a physical helmet covers and absorbs the shocks that hit the brain. Well, what exactly is this helmet that you ought to put over your head, your mind, your thinking. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. So he describes what the helmet is. He says the helmet is a helmet called salvation. So please let me review salvation. Can I review salvation here? I'll quote it for you. I know you know it already, but Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he hath already created beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says in those verses... Salvation is by grace, through faith, unto works. All of that makes up a package called salvation. It's by grace, through faith, unto good works. Let me say that again. Your salvation, your package deal, is by grace, through faith, unto good works. It's by grace, through faith, unto good works. You can't, I, can't I, I don't want you to miss this. It's by grace, through faith, unto good works. 
Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says, the same way you got, you met Christ is the very same way you're to walk with Christ. How did you meet Christ? By grace, through faith, unto good works. By grace, through faith, unto good works. The very same way you met him is the same way you walk in him. In other words, the same way you got saved is the same way you operate as saved. So let's review the terms. First of all, it's by grace. Grace has absolutely nothing to do with you. Grace is all that God has done for you independent of you. You have no participation in grace. Grace is all that God has done. And as we've already said, God has already done everything he's ever going to do. There is nothing God can do for you that he hasn't already done. So anything God is ever going to do, it's because he's already done it. Grace is all that God has already supplied. Not only in forgiveness when you were born again, but everything he's ever going to provide for you is already provided. Every healing he's ever going to give you in your physical body has already been provided. Everything he's ever going to do for your well-being is already provided. He can't give you anything new because anything new he's already deposited as old. Because grace has nothing to do with you. Grace is what he provides. All right? That's grace. So he says you're saved by grace. You're saved by what God has already done. He's already sacrificed Jesus for you. You're saved by what he's already done in Christ. Any victory you're ever going to get is because you already got it. The joy you're looking for is already got it. The peace you're looking for, you already got it. The power you're looking for, you already got it. Because grace provides that. So a lot of us are hunting for stuff we already have. Because you are saved, delivered, by grace. Well, you'll say, if I already got it, how come I don't have it? If I already got it, we're talking about salvation, why don't I have it? Because you're saved by grace through faith. The way you access grace is by means of faith. There's only one way to access what you already have. By faith, not by works. Okay? This is a fundamental distinction that's tripping most of us up. You do not access grace by works because the moment you try to access grace by works, you nullify grace. Because grace has nothing to do with you. So if I can access grace by what I do, then that means grace has something to do with me. And grace has nothing to do with you. Grace has to do only what God has supplied. What religion tries to do is try to get you by works to access grace. If you come to church more, God will bless you more. If you give more, God will bless you more. If you treat your neighbor nice, God will do more for you. So they keep adding things on to this list and you get tired of being a Christian. Because you never know if you did enough to make God happy enough for him to give you some more grace. Because you're trying to 
earn favor. It's like your child trying to earn your love. If they have to earn your love, then that means you don't love them unconditionally because they got to earn it. They got to do more to get it. You, you love them. You may not like what they're doing, but you love them because they're yours. God can't love you more than killing Jesus for you. That's as much love as he can give you. He, there is no more love than that one. When he killed Jesus, he gave you all the love he could ever give you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's only one way to access grace. By grace have you been saved through faith. Faith is tapping in to the grace God has already provided. Faith is my positive response to what God has already done. The obedience or the work I do is to express my faith, not to earn my grace. Now, I, you don't do what you do to earn God's favor. God has already given you his favor. What you want to do is tap into the favor he's already given you. And the way you tap into it is by faith. It's my response to what God has already done. You don't give a tithe to earn a tithe plus interest back. You give a tithe because you trust God. So I act by my giving as an expression of my faith but faith is my entry point into grace and grace is God's supply back to me. Religion will kill you because it will keep you trying to earn what's already been given freely. All of us have electricity in our homes. We are connected to the power company. Texas Utilities, we are, we are already, and, and all the power you need to run everything in your home, you already have. You would be foolish to call the electric company and say, give me more power. Give me more juice. Because all the juice for every outlet you possess, you already have by virtue of your relationship with the electric company. But let me tell you what you can't do. You cannot call the electric company and tell them to come over and flip the switch. They're not going to do that. Not because they haven't supplied the power, but because you possess the responsibility of connecting it. They won't, they won't act for you on the connection. They won't come and flip the switch on for you. They won't come and plug in your toaster for you. They're not going to do that. But, but all the power that you ever need for the toaster and the lights to work, you already have. That's supplied by virtue of your relationship with your electric company, but you access it by action. Flipping on the switch, plugging it in. You are saved by grace through faith. 
all the audio and video signals that you need for your television and your radio, you can't see them, but they're already flying all around you. You turn on the radio, you now bring it down. You got on-demand television. It simply means when you want it, you can get it. It's, it's out there. You got to call for it. So asking God to give you stuff that he's already given you is wasted conversation. It is the act of faith that accesses it. And no faith, there's plenty of grace that's gone unaccessed. So our problem with our salvation, this helmet, is we don't understand grace, so we don't operate by faith. We try to get by works what God doesn't give by works. He only gives it by faith, but the way you know you have faith is because the good works reflect the fact you believe what God said about grace. Faith is your admission ticket like going into a movie theater, into grace. Salvation means we relate to God based on grace, what Jesus did, not based on performance, what we do. Let me help you, let me help you. You do not have to try to get God to like you. you, you that's wasted energy. Oh, if I do this, he'll like me more. If I do this, he'll love me more. If I do this, he'll be nicer to me. If I do this, no, 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 no. You don't understand. All the liking God is ever going to like you with, he already likes you with. That's freedom right there. <laughs> sure. That I don't have to earn God's favor. Now, when, you, when that thing sinks into your soul, and I know most of us have grown up trying to earn people's favor, get people to like us. We got to perform, you know, on your job, you got to perform. For your family, you got to perform. You got to perform the form so that they'll treat you right and they'll like you and they'll talk nice about you and all that. Well, that's how you operate on earth. That's not how God operates in heaven. You do not have to, uh, and, and see, see, when you understand that kind of grace, you have less problem exercising the right kind of faith. Now, you don't have problem pleasing him. You don't have problem worshiping him. You don't have problem giving to him. Because now you want to express faith in what he's already done. You're not trying to manipulate him into doing it. The U.S. has a, the U.S. has a, a witness protection program in plain sight. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. It has a witness protection program. You know what they do? They change your identity. The reason they change your identity is because somebody after you. Somebody trying to get you. So they want you to become somebody different without actually changing who you are. A new name, new social security number, new license, new place to live, new identity for you and your family. Because somebody after you. So they want to reclassify you. And they want you to think in terms of the new you now. Not the old you you were raised to be. Now they tell you up front, you're going to have to get used to this. Because you used to being called by your old name. You used to operate this way. You used to move about this way. But in this new situation, because somebody after you, 
we want to deliver you from the person that's after you and the way we're going to deliver you is change who you are but unless you get used to functioning in the new way you're declared to be you're going to make yourself vulnerable to the one trying to get you what God is trying to tell us in spiritual warfare is somebody's after you Somebody's trying to stop your progress and block your future and keep you from achieving your goal. But God has got you in a new program now. He's got you in a salvation program where he is now changing how you look at yourself. And you ought to look at yourself from the perspective of God, no longer from the perspective of man. And then the hitman can't get to you because he don't know who you are. Paul says, Paul says, this is a whole sermon within itself. But Paul says, he says, uh, he says, I am what I am in 1 Corinthians 15 by the grace of God. He says, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. I used to kill people. And now I'm writing 13 books of the New Testament. And now I'm establishing churches all over. And let me explain to you, I didn't get this way because of me. I am what I am by the grace of God. But then his next statement is a killer. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God, and because of that grace, I labor more. Wait a minute. In other words, when I understood grace, it didn't make me lazy. He says, when I understood all that God has already done for me, I want to access it all so my work is my response to his grace. I'm not trying to earn it. I'm just so thankful for it. I'm going to express faith in it by the work I do because of it. Grace doesn't make you lazy. It makes you more committed. It makes you more excited. It makes you more generous. It makes you more obedient. Because when you see everything he's already done and all you got to do is access it, not earn it, that's free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Now what's the result of this grace? This helmet, I put on this helmet called salvation. The word save means to be delivered. That's what the word save means. But he's not talking about salvation from hell in the future. He's talking about salvation from hell in the present. Only have time to introduce it. But let me show you a zinger scripture. Can I show you a zinger? A zinger scripture. Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans comes after Acts. I can hear you struggling. Chapter 5 comes after chapter 4. Romans. Watch this now. Let me start at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We were helpless, Christ died, for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would dare to die. 
But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he died for us when we were at our worst. Okay? Now watch this. Much more. Say much more. That means on top of all that. When we were at our worst, he killed his son. When we were at our worst. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. Okay, you got saved, born again. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Wait a minute now. When we were sinners, Christ died. Now that we are saints, justified by his blood, he has another kind of salvation. Salvation from the wrath of God. Okay, talk to me about that, Paul. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, say much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Watch this now. If Jesus could save us when we were enemies and sinners by his death, he says, oh, much more, not a little bit more, whole lot more. Will he not save us by his life? If he could die and save us and he rose from the dead, don't you think he can live and save you? What exactly is he saving us from? He's saving us, he says, from wrath. Now, when you hear that, you're going to naturally think of hell. Uh-uh. He's not talking about that wrath. Now, that's eternal wrath. He's talking about salvation now. You say, but I, he used the word wrath. Turn back in the book of Romans to chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed, not will be, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known of God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. Now watch this now. He now says the wrath of God in verse 18 is already revealed. Now, eternally it will be revealed. That's hell. But some of us don't have to wait to go to hell to be in hell. Because some of us are in our own private hell, our own personal hell. We, are, we, we got fires burning all over the place. We're not talking about eternal hell. He's talking about the wrath that is revealed happening right now. Now, let me explain how this works. Injected into sin is wrath. Let me say that again now. Wrath is injected into sin. Sin has wrath built in. Let me put it another way. With sin comes consequence. Consequence is embedded in the sin. All right? Many of us have gone through, are going through consequences. If we didn't do what we did when we were 18, if we didn't do what we did when we were 25, we didn't do what we did when we were 30, we wouldn't be where we are today. It's not that God is throwing wrath at you. It's that wrath is built in as a consequence to the sin. 
He says, now when Jesus Christ died, when you were an enemy, he saved you. But now that he's alive, he wants to deliver you from the wrath consequence because he's going to deliver you from the power of sin and sin has the consequence already built in it. So if he delivers you from the sin, he delivers you from the consequence. Some of us started out with one drink and now the drink is telling us what to do. Some of us started popping up with one pill and now we're injecting into our arms because in the sin was the consequence. Well, the way you get rid of the consequence is by having the power to deal with the sin. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. So when you understand that the power is in the saving and it deals with the sin that brings the wrath, then what I get is delivered. When I put on the helmet of salvation, what I'm doing is blocking Satan from bringing the consequence because I denied him the sin where the consequence is built in. And since I don't want the consequence, I'm going to deal with the sin, but in the salvation, having grace through faith unto good works is the power of the gospel that deals with the sin that overrides the consequence. So I'm free at last, free at last. Thank God I'm Almighty, I'm free at last. It is in the understanding of your salvation. What does Satan do? He doesn't want you to put your helmet on. He wants you to play in this game with no helmet so he can do a brain injury and keep you from thinking right because then he can keep you flat on your back. Is your salvation important? Is the helmet of salvation important? Amen, it is. And what does it keep you, what is, what's it for? It's your helmet of salvation is to protect your mind. The devil begins in your mind, works in your mind.